Good morning. My name is Dominic. Uh, I have the privilege of being the lead pastor and leading this community and following Jesus. And uh, we're so glad that you're here this morning. So whether you're in the room, welcome, uh, or online, we're so glad that you're tuning in with us to, to worship and follow Jesus this morning. Um, I want to, before we segue into our new series, we're, we're going to start a new series this morning uh, in the book of Colossians. And uh, it's titled Jesus Above All Else. And I'm really excited. Um, Colossians is one of my favorite books. It's really dense. It's really robust, although it's one of the smallest books. And so we're going to kick that off today. But I was talking with somebody in the lobby real quick, and they just said, you know, I, wasn't, I didn't realize that we had kind of ended our, our Great Commission series. Um, and so we did. We, we ended that officially. Um, a couple weeks ago, I gave a fall launch talk, and then we were at Shampooey last week camping. How many of you guys were at Shampooey last week? That was awesome. That was so fun. Thank you for coming out. And again, thank you to um, the Koinonia MC for all the work put in for that. Um, but yeah, in terms of the, the, the Great Commission series, we still have one part of it left, and it's not me talking or anybody else here teaching, but it's that we have one week left in the month of September where we're continuing to pray and to fast. People are taking turns doing that and um, praying and just seeking God's heart for how we as a community can engage in the Great Commission. So uh, the calendar is, is in the lobby or you can access it online. And I think there's about three days of this final week of September that we don't have one person. And our goal is to have at least one person each day that would take time to pray and seek the Lord's heart. And so if you haven't participated yet, I'd invite you to do that. If you have and you want to jump in on another day, uh, feel free to do that. But um, yeah, this morning we're, we're moving forward into uh, a series, again, in, in the book of Colossians called Jesus Above All Else. Um, and as I said earlier, it's, it's a really bold, it's a really beautiful, it's a really big picture, despite being a small book, about what it looks like to live a life where Jesus is exalted above all else. And maybe I'll, I want to put that question up in front of you and let you just kind of think about that for a second in your own life. What does it mean to live life with Jesus above all else? When you hear that question, or you read that statement in front of you, what pings in your heart? What, do you, what does that mean for you? So this is the question that we're going to be exploring today. This is the question that we're going to be exploring in the coming weeks as we look through the, the book of Colossians. And kind of what I'd propose to you is that this is really what the life of discipleship with Jesus is all about. It's learning to live with him above all else, all other things, all other voices, all other traditions, all other philosophies. To say that I'm a follower of Jesus is to live with Jesus above all else. And I want to jump into the book of Colossians here and begin our study this morning because um, it's rich and it's deep. And God's word this morning says this to us. Um, starting in, in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, uh, Paul writes this. He says, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Now, if you're familiar with any of Paul's writings, any of his letters, you read this and you notice that this is pretty similar uh, to most of Paul's greetings in his other epistles. He states his name. He states his authority that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. He states the name of anybody else that's with him. In this case, it's Timothy. Uh, and then he addresses the people who the letter is to. Again, in this, in this case, it's a church in Colossae. Uh, and then he has this short little formal word of greeting. Now, I want to give us just some brief context about Colossae as we start this book, because I think that's important. Uh, Colossae was a small city that was about 100 miles inland or east from the Aegean or Mediterranean Sea. If you're familiar with, again, Paul's letters, he wrote one to a, a, a group called Eph in Ephesus. And the letter of Ephesians, Ephesus is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Colossae is about 100 miles 
east inland for me. This is east for you. That's not. I recognize that. But it's inland about 100 miles. Uh, it's a small city. It's, it's, along this, it's along a river called the Lycus River. It was a valley that had really fertile volcanic soil. And because of that, uh, it, it was known for um, a lot of different fruits. It had olives. It had figs. A lot of produce was grown there. Uh, it was in this tri-town area. You, we've, we've, and in our series uh, in Revelation, we read the letter to, again, the church in Ephesus and then also the church in Laodicea. Laodicea and um, Hierapolis were two other towns similar, similar to Colossae and close by, and kind of these three towns were along this trade route that was one of the main roads that was going east and west from Ephesus all the way over to the Euphrates, and in the middle was these, this tri-town area. And so people would come through there, and I share all that to say it was a very diverse city, it was a city that once had a major heyday, but then there was earthquake and volcanic activity that caused it to shrink and some of it to be destroyed. They say to this day that like, if you go to this area, which is in modern-day Turkey, you'll find the ruins of Laodicea, which are pretty stunning. You'll find the ruins of Hierapolis, which are pretty stunning. And you will miss totally, completely the ruins of Colossae because of what happened over the town. It had become it was this major place, and it just over time just ruined and ruined and ruined, and there's like hardly anything left of it. But at one point in time, there was a church there. And this church was about four or five years old when Paul wrote this letter. And Paul writes this letter because, not because he had been there, because he hadn't, but Paul, when he was in Ephesus, and we can read about it in Acts 19, he was in Ephesus for about three years. And he had this really, like the Lord just blessed his ministry. And in that time, there was a man that came through and his name was Epiphras. And we'll hear his name a couple times in this letter. But Epiphras came to know Christ under Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And Epiphras was a Colossian, and so Epiphras went back to Colossae, his hometown, and he started sharing the gospel. And as, as he shared the gospel in Colossae, a church is birthed, he becomes the pastor of it, and now four or five years later, he takes a visit to Paul, who's in prison in Rome, and he brings Paul this, this note. He brings Paul this, this letter. He brings Paul this report that the church in Colossae was pretty healthy and doing pretty well after four or five years, but it was under great pressure. It was under great pressure by the culture around it. It was under great pressure by both the Jews who were in the area and by the pagans who were in the area. And this church was a mix of both Gentile converts and Jews. And they had been strong and steady in the gospel for about four or five years until all of a sudden there's these other philosophies, these human philosophies, these other teachings that were causing the Colossian church to question, is Jesus enough? Is the gospel sufficient? Is Jesus worthy of being worshipped above all else? Or do we need to add something to the gospel? Do we need to add some other things to our lives, to our thinking, to our way of living besides the gospel in order to experience fullness, completeness, and wholeness? Those are themes which we're going to see a lot here in this book, in this letter to the Colossians. And so Paul gives his, again, traditional greeting, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, but I want to note something here in this intro where he says, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. See, because of the way that these outside teachings and these philosophies were beginning to come in, Paul opens his letter and his greeting, again, similar in some fashion to others, but unique. He addresses the Colossian church as saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. Paul is saying, reminding them from the very beginning that they are saints. Another word for that would be holy ones, those that are set apart not by their own doing or their own workings, 
but those that are set apart by the grace of God and His doing. He's counteracting and speaking, even in the name that He's calling them at the beginning. He's reminding them of the truth of that the Gospel is what sets them apart. Not anything that they do, but what God has already done in Christ. So He calls them saints and holy ones. Secondly, He calls them faithful brothers and sisters. What is He doing here? He's reminding them that they have a commonality in the new family of God. Again, by virtue of what God has done in the universal proclamation of the Gospel of Christ as King, Christ as Savior, Redeemer, Sanctifier, Healer, as Christ as the fullness. He's the one that has brought them into a new family. Again, not because of what they have done, but because of what God has done in Christ. And the fact that this is a universal gospel, a story that has gone out, we're going to hear him say, throughout the world at the time, and that is bearing fruit and that is working, and they are participants of it in a localized area. So again, he's counteracting the local teachings and the local truth that is trying, the false truth that is trying to attack the truth of the gospel, and he reminds them of their identity as saints and holy ones because of what God has done, brothers and sisters, again, because of the reality of the gospel and the new family of God, and he reminds them that they're brothers and sisters where? In Christ. Bringing their focus from the very beginning to the reality and the truth that it is all about Jesus and him being held central in their lives, but not just central, but above all else because of the fact that it is in Christ that they have their new identity. It's in Christ that they have their new life. It's in Christ that they have their belonging. And Paul wants to remind them of that right from the get-go. He's not messing around. And then he gives them this greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now this, in some regards, is again common to Paul's intros but it's unique in this regard. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Most of Paul's greetings, he says something of that line, but he says, in God our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, Paul is focusing on the fact that it's God the Father who has ordained and orchestrated everything on their behalf. Again, that they are saints and set apart, that they are brothers and sisters in Christ, and that they are in Christ and reminding them that their salvation, their wholeness, their fullness comes because of the grace and the peace which comes from God. Again, not a grace and peace that comes from any other philosophy, any other system, not anything that they have done, but God the Father in His divine providence has given them grace. Grace is what? Grace is God's unmerited love, God's unmerited, undeserved favor and help for the sake of the salvation of people. And he's given them peace. And what kind of peace is it? It's a peace that comes not, again, from, from just my own thinking, my own doing, or from having things set in my world according to the way I like them, neat and tidy. But it's a peace with God and a peace that comes from God the Father because it's God bestowing on me in His grace this knowledge and understanding that I'm okay with Him and He's okay with me. I can be at peace and I am at peace with God again because of what he has done. This grace and this peace flows from God the Father to this church in Colossae and Paul starts that way because this is what he's going to build everything off of. This focus and this truth on who Christ is, who the Father is and that all the blessings, all the blessings flow from the Father through the Son to us as his children. And this is where he goes next, right into his, his Thanksgiving greeting. He says, we always thank God in verse 3, the Father of Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, 
Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epiphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to you, to us, excuse me, your love in the Spirit. See, Paul, again, even in this thanksgiving prayer, he starts with this phrase, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. See, Paul set everything up in, in very intentionally in his introduction, introducing himself to this church for the first time because he didn't plant the church and he's never been to Colossae. And now he's introducing them to the focus of his book, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul's doing here in verse 3 is reminding them again that the Father and the Son have existed eternally in relationship always, the Father, again, being the bestower of grace and of peace and of life, and Jesus Christ being the one who is the conduit of the source of that, coming to a broken humanity to bring healing, to bring redemption, to bring fullness. And he says, I thank God the Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when I pray for you, since I'd heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. I want to pause real quick and talk about there was three major themes of the false teaching that were coming in and trying to infiltrate the, the Colossian church. And the three major teachings, they had three doctrinal errors. One was a really weak Christology. The, the, the philosophers that were coming in, the Judaizers that were coming in, the people that were coming in, they were trying to get the Colossians to take their focus off Christ and his sufficiency, and they were introducing these teachings, these human-oriented teachings that had really weak Christology, meaning they were, they were a denial of Christ's person and a denial of Christ's deity. Instead of Christ above all else, they were trying to lower Christ in the eyes of the Colossians. Does that make sense? The second key thing about it was, it was works righteousness. These philosophers were coming in again and they were, instead of saying that Jesus Christ is your source of salvation, Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who has come in the flesh, who lived and died and resurrected for us, and it's his perfect work, his completed work that brings about salvation. These people were coming in from both sides and they were bringing this teaching that was a denial of Christ's completed work. They were wanting the Colossians to question, is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ enough or do you have to add other stuff to it? And thirdly, there was spiritual elitism. This denial of Christ's teachings and of his body and of the church. There was a way in which everybody in this day was going to kind of get to pick and choose with their own beliefs and their own understanding and their own way of worshiping and their own way of gaining their salvation and their own way of trying to follow Jesus. And Paul is coming in and saying, no, 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 no. I'm thanking God and he's reminding them in his thanksgiving, he's reminding them that he has heard of their faith in Christ Jesus, the love that they have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for them in heaven, which they have heard about through the word of truth, the gospel. See, Paul's reminding them that the self-redemptive philosophies, the human-centric focus that was coming in from the outside, both from the right and from the left, if you will, was not the gospel. It was not what had brought them to faith. It was not what had given them a new hope. And it was not what had produced this love within them which was countercultural and which was powerful and which was a testimony to the area around them. And it's important, I think, that we see this focus and we pay attention to what Paul focuses on here. 
See, Paul doesn't say that what I've heard about you, he doesn't say, I've heard about your new learnings and your wisdom. Although, in later chapters, he is, of course, going to encourage them to grow in their understanding and in their wisdom. But as he starts his letter, he's saying to them, that's not the telltale sign of a church that worships Jesus above all else. Wisdom and understanding is not the telltale sign of a people who holds Jesus above all else. Paul does not start by saying, I've heard about your newfound holiness and your great obedience to this strict moral code. No, he doesn't say that either. Paul is going to write to them later and address that he wants them to be living this new kind of life. He wants them to be living in a countercultural way. But he believes that that will come in time as, they, again, they hold true to the gospel and they exalt and hold Jesus above all else. Instead, what Paul keys in on is the faith that they have in Christ Jesus, the love that they have for all the saints, and the hope that they're holding on to through the truth of the gospel. Paul keys in on the fact that there's one fruit, there's one main thing that is going to appear in a genuine Christian community that is trusting Jesus above all else. And Paul says, it's your love for one another, the hope that you have, And he says at the end, and it's the love that you have in the Spirit. He centers in on love. He centers in, we could even say, on what? Faith, (laughs) hope, and love. And as I say that, some of you might recall his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, where he speaks about faith, hope, and love. And at the end of it, he says, these three will remain, but one is going to remain as the greatest, and that is what? Love. He's saying a similar thing here as he starts this letter. Is that a church that is devoted to Jesus and that is worshiping Jesus is going to be marked by faith in the gospel, love for one another, hope which changes the perspective and the reality of things going on, and a love that is produced not by, again, themselves, but produced by the work of the Spirit within them. Why is this important? Again, Colossae was along this trade route, and it was a very diverse community. And what you would see, they would say, in this day and time, between Hierapolis, between uh, Laodicea, between Colossae, you saw all these diverse cultures and these things mixing around. Again, a lot of different teachings, a lot of philosophies. And because of that, what you actually saw was a lot of fighting. You saw a lot of divisions. You saw a lot of blaming and finger pointing. You saw a lot of things that were tearing apart families and tearing apart communities. And Paul says a community and a church that understands the gospel and places their faith and their trust in Jesus and worships and acknowledges him above all else, not gathering with the culture and these philosophies and these ways of thinking, what you're going to see happen is a diverse people, again, Jews and Gentiles and other pagans coming to know Jesus within the same community, and what's going to happen is there's going to be a very unique and dynamic, powerful love for one another, even despite racial differences, even despite cultural differences, even despite these crazy backgrounds that were all gelling in this one little tri-city area. And Paul's reminding them at the outset of this letter that that's what they are to strive for. And that's what is going to be the fruit, the litmus test of whether or not they themselves are again believing the gospel, finding hope in the truth of the coming kingdom and its reality to affect their present time, and 
It's going to be experienced by a unique and powerful life transformational love that they have for one another because of the unique and powerful and true love that they have experienced from God the Father in Jesus Christ. You guys tracking with me? See, Paul's reminding them that the gospel, the good news, it's an invitation to salvation. It's an invitation to wholeness by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Paul says it this way later on. We'll look at this more next week, but Paul encapsulates the gospel to them in one one way like this. Uh, In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he says this. He says, He, God, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of the kingdom of darkness, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Again, the Colossians, their context, they're living in this place that I just described, and there's a lot of different darkness going on around them. It's very obvious for them that there is a kingdom reality of darkness happening in this Tri-City area. And he's reminding them that they have been God the Father through his Son Jesus Christ has come down and by his love and by his grace, in a sense, has picked them up and taken them out of this kingdom of darkness that was very real, very palpable, both spiritually and physically in nature for them, and transferred them into the kingdom of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And in doing so, he says, he has transferred them over, given them this title and name of beloved, just as the Son is beloved. And in this work, he has given them the redemption, the forgiveness of their sins. Again, all of this is a work of grace. Nothing they have to do to earn it. Nothing they could do to earn it. Nothing they could actually do to, to, to negate that in their lives either. But he's calling them to remember the truth of the gospel, to believe it, to hold fast to it, and to know that just as it has been bearing, as it bore fruit in their lives in the beginning, that it's going to continue to bear fruit in their lives and that, again, it's bearing fruit around them. He's trying to call them to a bigger perspective in the midst of the pressures, in the midst of the persecutions, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of all the things coming at them from the right, from the left, from up, from down, from in front, from behind. He's trying to get them to lift their eyes up away from just the the small frame of thinking and to remember the beauty and the power and the source of their salvation from God the Father through Jesus Christ, to them by grace. Some of you guys are going, tell us something new, right? Come on. We've heard you say that a lot. You just keep saying the same thing. That's Paul's point. That's Paul's point. Because again, the outside, what was happening is they were coming to this church after a good start of four or five years. A healthy start with fruit being produced, growth, all these things. And they're beginning to question and go, yeah, but is that just it? Or do we have to add some other things? Because these philosophers are over here are saying we have to embrace this, this dualism and this asceticism. Like we have to do this extreme self-denial stuff and that's going to prove that we're really followers of Jesus. 
And these Judaizers over here, they're coming in and they're saying that we've got to take on these things and we've got to externally promote this and do all these kinds of things and we've got to stand for this and we've got to show these things. And there's certain ceremonies and certain holy days and certain things that we've got to do to remain in the grace of God. And then there's this, this other pagan group over here and they're just telling us, yeah, the grace means that now you can do whatever you want. You're telling us you have this grace from your son, from the God, from Jesus, who's the Son of God, who's the King, and now you you can just be free. Isn't that what you're telling? Go go do whatever you want. Just come on. We're over here. We've got these these hard parties. We have these things. Like you can do all that. And the Colossians are standing here in the middle, and Epaphras, their pastor, travels. I think it's about a thousand miles to go from Colossae all the way to Rome, where Paul's in prison. And he says, "Will you help me? Send them a letter that reminds them of what's of utmost importance and get at it right from the start. And Paul says, then this is it. It's that you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You have been given a faith and a hope and a love that is not of yourself, but it's the work of the Spirit within you because you understand by the grace of God that you have been redeemed and saved, not because you can do anything, but because of what God has done for you out of love through his Son, Jesus Christ. And Paul says, this is where I'm starting. Because the gospel is not some man-made, localized, self-centered, human-centered message like all the other things that they were getting. And not like what you and I are surrounded by either. Paul would say in his letter to Romans, which was another letter that he wrote from in prison to a people he had never met, I believe that the power or that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for those who believe. That the gospel alone is the power of God for wholeness in this world, for individuals and for communities and for the whole world, for those who would believe it by faith. Are there some good systems and structures? Yes. Are there some good policies and procedures? Yes. Are there some good things? We- yes. But if ultimately those become the place that we put our hope in above Jesus, we're actually not living as disciples of Jesus. We're living as disciples of some other policy or procedure or system or structure. And we're saying, and Jesus is here too, but this is going to be the salvation in my wholeness for me and for the world. You you tracking with me? And Paul's bringing them back to the simple but powerful truth. No, no, no. The gospel which has given you a hope like none other. The gospel, which has given you faith in a true king. The gospel, which has given you love that is transformational and powerful like nothing else in this world. That is to be held. The, the Jesus of that gospel is to be held above all else. And you need to look at every other system, every other structure, every other philosophy, every other teaching, everything in light of the gospel Jesus above it all, and then you can, then, 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 do your work at looking at these things and considering them. And, and asking, are they true in light of the gospel? You tracking with me? So what does this mean for us? I <laughs> See, I think we live in a culture and a time that is doubting the sufficiency of the gospel. We live in a culture, in a time, in a city, in a place that is doubting the reality of Jesus and the sufficiency of that. We're living in a human-centric, just like the systems and the false teachings that were coming from the outside into the Colossians, we are living in a human-centric time. 
We are in a DIY culture, a self-centered culture, a self-help culture, a self-promotion culture, a self-you-fill-in-the-blank-for-me culture, right? See, and the message of the gospel is that you and I, we can't save ourselves. And we can't save this world either. But there is one who came to do that for us. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus came to give us new hope, to give us faith, to give us a love that comes from receiving his love freely, unmerited, from the Father, through him, to us. And it's a really simple, but it's a powerful message. See, and one of the things that was happening was that some of these people, again, as they were coming around, they were, they were actually saying to the Colossians, like, that message is just too simple. There's got to be more. <laughs> See, I think sometimes, if I'm honest, me, I, I can get stuck going, I know the gospel, I believe it, but it's just too simple, right? Like, can, can it really just be that I am saved and I'm being transformed and I'm being redeemed and I'm being renewed and the answer for the renewal of this whole world in the midst of all of it is Jesus <laughs> coming in love? Jesus coming in grace, Jesus coming in this like servant beauty, like that's just too simple. There's got to be something more. No, church, it's, it's the gospel. It's Jesus. It's a grace that we receive. It's a faith that we are freely given. It's, it's a love that we can't earn and don't deserve. It's a new life and it's transformation that I push and I struggle against sometimes, but if I would just receive it, I was thinking this week uh, about this, um, and it'll lead into some application questions that I want to invite you into, but I was thinking this week about, about the ways that I push back against the gospel and the ways that I, like the Colossians, can fail to believe that it's actually true enough and powerful enough because it's so simple. Uh, I was thinking about this, the fact that my, my family and I last summer, we, we had the privilege of going to um, Mexico on one of our sabbatical trips with, with another family. And uh, we, we, I can't remember the name of the, 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 the place, but we went to this, it was like a mix of a cultural center along with like a theme park. It was really beautiful. I wish I could remember the name of it. But we went there, and one of the things that attracted us to there is that in Mexico, they have these things called cenotes. And cenotes are, are underground rivers. And as we were talking to the people at the hotel about some of the excursions and things we wanted to do, they had this brochure with this picture of like all this amazing stuff, animals, all this stuff, but there was this picture of, of the cenotes and people like floating as a family in the cenotes. And in the picture, of course, it's like a really broad, wide river. It's bright light. It's this little family of four and they're just smiling and like floating in this river and it's like amazing that they're like <gasps> underground but in the water and it's so amazing, right? And so we're like, yes, we want that experience. So we sign up, we get on the bus, we go, we go to this, this place, and it's amazing the whole time, like awesome. Crazy animals are amazing, like the culture, the art, the awareness, like all this stuff. And then it's time to go to the cenotes. And as we get there, you first had to, there's this locker room, you had to change and do all this stuff, and there's like so many people. So that was not like the picture. And like, you know, each of us in our family have different types of anxieties and things. And we were just like, oh, all right. And then we have to walk down this, this path and we're crammed in by people. And then you get there. And, and as we're going, my wife and I were like, should we turn back? But the reality is we look back and there's just people everywhere. We can't turn back. And so we get to the edge of the cenote. And they're like, come on in. And I'm like, and my son is like flailing already. And my wife is like, I have no idea. And they're like, yes, come on in. And you're like, okay, it was very clear, very politely, but you had one way to go and it was in the cenote. And half an hour ride down the thing. 
And so we jump in, and I think Christine had Otis to start, and I had Mason, and then we had to flop. And so I've got Otis on my back, right? And he's freaking out. And this water is like this high. So like I'm on my tippy toes to stay up, and I'm you know, doing my doggy paddle thing, right? And you've got a life vest on, and the whole family does, so you're kind of safe. But you're going through, and there's all these people. And so Otis is like, Dad, I'm like, I'm like Otis, just if you calm down, I will do the work, and you're going to be okay. And so he, he's, he's cool for a little bit, and then we're going along. And all of a sudden, he, I, this, because there's a rope on the side, and he grabbed the rope. And as I'm going forth, he grabs the rope, and it pulls us back. And so I go like this, and if he's on my back, and I go like this, where's his head go? In the water. So what does he do? He freaks out even more. Dad, you're not doing it. i got to do more. Otis, if you calm down, I will get us out of here. Okay, okay. And he's good for a little bit, right? And then all of a sudden, what does he start doing? He starts thinking he's got a kick because there's a kid that goes by and he's kicking with his dad. So he starts kicking. And as he kicks, what does he do? Ah! And, and he's literally hurting me, right? And so, I, and so what happens? I go down. Where's his head go? In the water. So what does he do? He freaks out even more. Otis, if you trust me, if you calm down and you trust me, let me do the work, you're going to be okay. We're like good for a little bit. Then he's like, okay, let me get on the front. So then he gets on the front. And now I'm going on the front, holding him like this. And guess what happens? He kicks again. I go like this, where does his head go? In the water. So he freaks out, Dad, you're not doing a good enough job. I've got to do something. No, son, we're, every time that you just calm down and you trust, you listen to my voice and you trust that I have got you and that I am seeing you through this, if you trust in my power, if you trust in my love for you, if you trust that I am with you and you are going to be okay, we're actually going to be okay. But every time you grab the line, every time you kick, every time you flail, every time you freak out and think you've got to do something else other than just trust me, that's actually when you start sinking. And I, I was thinking about this week and going, Lord, like, forgive me because that's me sometimes. You hold out in front of me every single day the gospel of grace, a message of my salvation unmerited, unwarranted, undeserved in my relationships, in my struggles, in my everything. You hold out to me and say, my gospel is enough for you. My son, Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the power that he wields over this whole world to restore it like nothing else. It is enough for you. And in some days I believe that and some days I'm cool with that and some days I'm floating and it's beautiful and it's bright and there's light even under the tunnel of darkness. But there's some days I kick and I flail and I struggle because I read this and I heard this and this person said that and culture's promoting this and I go, oh, I gotta have those things too. And when I actually come to the end of the day and think back on my day and go, the days that I embrace the reality, the simplicity of the power and the beauty of the gospel of grace of my salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, it's actually pretty good. But the days that I kick and flail and think that I've got to do something or I could ever do anything to earn or gain my salvation, my wholeness, when I'm the one that have created the wreck, I end up just sinking and drowning. And God was saying to me, Dominic, would you please... Trust me. I've come to give you a hope like no other that will produce a faith and a love that will transform your life and your community. Is that enough for you? Will you consider loving and trusting Jesus above all else? So, Missy, I want to give you three, three questions today to consider or three things in application. Here's the first one. I want you to go home today and this week and I want you to thank God for the work of the gospel in your life. 
Can you do that? Would you do that? Because again, this week I was honest, I, I don't do that enough. Would, would, you, would you thank God for the work of the gospel in your life? And would you receive it daily? A friend of mine used to say, you got to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Would you do that? And where does the gospel come from? Paul says it comes from the grace of God in the word of truth. The word of truth. Open up the word of truth. Open up the gospel. Allow it to saturate your heart and your mind. Allow it to tell you and remind you of the love of God for you through his son Jesus. And would you thank God for the gospel as Paul did? That it's at work in your life. It's producing fruit. Secondly, would you thank God for the work of the gospel around the world? Again, to lift your eyes off of just your scenario, your situation, and remember that the gospel is working around the world. It is producing fruit. That's one of the things that Paul says, that it's producing and bearing fruit around the world as it is in your life. I, one of my favorite things about our Great Commission series is when I, we had Hannah come and when we had Reverend Yu come, and they were telling us these stories, right, of the gospel at work around the world. That, that what the, the, the simple but powerful message of Jesus Christ come in the flesh, taking on human sin, dying on the cross, resurrecting and defeating sin, death, and hell, and ascending and sitting back and reigning and ruling over all creation and love of God, and the ways that that has brought healing and redemption and freedom to people around the world. That was one of my favorite, that's so powerful, so beautiful. Would you take time this week and thank God for the work of the gospel around the world? If you have to, search for it instead of the normal news that comes up or whatever, certain gospel impact around the world. Do that, you know what I mean? Like, whatever it is. Thirdly, would you thank God for the person or those who shared the gospel with you? In Paul's thanksgiving here, he reminds them that they heard and they learned this grace of God in the word of truth from Epiphas, our fellow servant. The gospel, yes, comes from God the Father through Jesus Christ and the work of the Spirit. And it comes through one another. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves and we need to receive the gospel truth from others. Would you thank God for those who shared the gospel with you? And then, finally, the question that popped up there earlier, who's going to learn the gospel from you this week? And, and not even maybe that you, you, you know, it's you're sitting down with someone in this little booklet or whatever, but like, who, I mean, who, who's going to, as you live in the love of God, in the grace of God, in the hope of God, who, who's going to experience that from you? Who, who gets to be a part of, 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 of the freedom and the joy, the hope of the gospel because you are abiding in the love of God. You are soaking in the truth of his grace and his goodness for you. Unmerited, undeserved, but freely given. And finally, and maybe this is the final one, sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what are the areas in, in your life where you're being challenged to place faith, hope, and love in something above Jesus? Would you ask yourself that, that question and consider that? What are the areas where you're being challenged to place your faith, your hope, and your love, your trust, again, in something above Jesus? I'm going to close with this. Pa Paul's focus here, again, his intro is so powerful and dense and really as he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. What Paul's hope and desire is, I believe, and we see it throughout this whole letter, is that the Colossian church would be enveloped in the grace and the peace of God the Father that is theirs in Christ Jesus. And Missy, that, that's what I've been praying for us this week. 
That, that's my hope for us this week is that as we, and for this journey, as we journey through the book of Colossians over the coming weeks, that, that just this, we would feel and sense and know that we are being enveloped by the grace and the peace of God through his son, Jesus Christ, and that we would find ways to just open our hands and our hearts and our minds and surrender to that love that he has for us in Christ Jesus. And so to that end, let me pray and, and then we'll worship out. And so God, uh, you're the God of grace. And I thank you for that truth and that reality today. You're the God of grace who has saved us through your son, Jesus. And we thank you and praise you for the love that is revealed through his birth, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. Thank you for the way that that story, that truth speaks of your love for us, your love for this world, your desire and your power to redeem it all. God, we are in need of, of hope in our day and in our time. We're in need of renewed and restored faith. And God, we are in need of, of wholeness. We're in need of being restored. And so God, I pray that yeah, as we open your word and we journey through it together, God, would you come and do what only you can do through the word of truth, through your gospel. Would you set us free? Would you heal us? Would you restore us? Would you silence the lies? God, would you bind us in a new love for one another? Would you empower us by your spirit with a new love for our community, for our city, for those who are hurting? God, would you, yeah, embrace us, envelop us in your grace, in your peace, and in your hope. And Lord, as we come to the table even today, I pray would you start that process. Would we come to the table today with thanksgiving for the work of the gospel in our lives? Will we come to the table today remembering and considering the power and the work of your gospel throughout the world? Will we come to the table today with, even with a name or a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, our own kid, a family member in mind of, Lord, as I take your body and as I take your bread as I now in the embodiment of this, would you allow me, empower me, yeah, to embody this message to someone this week? Jesus, remind us in a very real, very powerful way today. Remind us of the hope held out for us in the gospel. And from that hope would, would, would spring forth a faith and a love that comes only from you, Jesus. Lord, we, we want to love you above all else. Would you help us to do that? Praise in your name. Amen.